An address from friend of the show, Brendan O'Neill. This Easter bank holiday weekend, the internet has been alight with commentary, but not on the anniversary of the death of Jesus Christ, who may not have actually been the Son of God, but who certainly deserves our reverence as a representative of those chosen people who built the pyramids, the Irish. No. Mr. Christ received not a mention, but rather Twitter was submerged by tweets from the Trotskyite acolytes of the Corbynite anti-right socialite left. What had got these armchair communists so energised was a photo leaked to the press of their beloved Diane Abbott drinking a can of M&S Mojito on the London Overground, breaking a long-standing TFL rule about consumption of alcohol on their services. Ms Abbott has apologised, but the chattering classes of Twitter would not allow her to be contrite, insisting this behaviour was quote-unquote relatable and quote-unquote something a normal person would do. Now I as a classical liberal and an Irishman, support Ms. Abbott's right to drink wherever she pleases. But as someone who believes in the rule of law, I must say that this is the thin end of the wedge. And as a peasant, I must say that Ms. Abbott can hardly claim to be a woman of the people when she is drinking cocktails on the overground whilst others among us work for a living. If we allow our politicians to drink cocktails on public transport, what will be next? Taking cocaine in toilets? Having extramarital affairs with their parliamentary staff? This is, of course, hard to imagine, I know, but can only be avoided by holding our representatives to certain standards. And what of Miss Abbott's own standards? Was she not previously a campaigner for banning the sale of cheap alcohol, a law which would surely have impinged on the liberal freedoms of the ruddy-faced, salt-of-the-earth manual labourer types who read my columns? Indeed, it seems to be one rule for the metropolitan elite and their foreign-sounding drinks, and another for hearty northern lads drinking warm pints of things called brains or sheep piss. On another level, though, it was remarkable that Ms. Abbott was travelling at all, since the champagne socialists of the group known as Extinction Rebellion have shut down most of central London to raise awareness of climate change. And to them I say, are we not aware enough? Would the countless man-hours wasted by this protest not have already surely produced a technological solution to climate change? Probably not. But still, we must acknowledge the great illiberal hypocrisy of such protests, as these Islington types dressed in tie-dye protest that we should all have our cars taken away and whatnot while impinging on our fundamental freedoms when they themselves use electricity on a daily basis. As ever, it is one rule for them, and another for us working people like plumbers, teachers and columnists. They demand that everyone respect and acknowledge their belief that climate change will kill us all, or so the cabal of so-called scientists would have it, but show little or no respect to those who believe the opposite. Is the spirit of democracy not compromised? Could we not have vegan Mondays and diesel Tuesdays? But no, our divides only widen, and the classical liberal is as always the first before the metaphorical firing squad. Most seem to have forgotten the value of cooperation and debate, of reaching across the aisle and finding a compromise. <laughs> For we are all neighbours, but it seems some have even forgotten the most fundamental truth of all, that we live in a society. Welcome to this week's free TF uh, happy, happy climate change Easter, everyone. It's, it's super hot out. We're mm. staying cool in the overground with a couple of tinnies in solidarity with the, with the shadow home secretary and feeling fine with myself and Milo Edwards in the Trash Future Basement studio. Hell yeah. I'm drinking jo- a nice cold tinny of water. <laughs> joined, joined also by uh, Hussein in Parts Unknown preparing I, I, squash. I, yeah. I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in South London, but I'm in like one of the... So I live in the place where Clockwork Orange was filmed, which means that it's still working class, but I'm cutting a squash, which means that I am part of the gentrifying uh, mob that has just moved in. Enjoying a tall, cold glass of Maloco. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also uh, on... 
Uh, sorry, let me take that again, Nate. And also on the phone lines today is writer and Pete Buttigieg knower about Karen Geyer. Karen, hello. Hello. Is this where I make my complaints to Ofcom? <laughs> it absolutely is. I don't. I fortunately we're not yet regulated by Ofcom, but <laughs> no, that should, and we never will be. That should be one of our our future goals. Podcasts. Step are, one. Yeah, podcasts are going to be regulated by Ofcom like soon, and it'll be because too many of them are using the word "cum." <laughs> Step one. Step one, win the British uh, Podcasting Award Viewer's Choice Award, which we will Viewers. link in the description. <laughs> Viewers, listeners, you know, the one that you vote for, please, to make us mm. <laughs> to make us be able to do a speech uh, in front of the British media establishment. At, at, the, the, award. at, at the very least, like you'll get you'll 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 like you'll um, rob the award away from like the Romaniacs and like watching Ian Dunk get redder and redder as we like talk about Yu-Gi-Oh, I think would be quite fun. Mm hmm. Um, yes, yeah, step one is to do that. Uh, and that's one last thing we have to do in the plug section at the end. Step two, of course, is to then lobby for us to get uh, regulated by Ofcom. And then step three is going to be to give us all lucrative columns denouncing all sides. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, per usual, there's just so there's just so much. Uh, happening all the time that I figure we might as well jump straight in, but also jump straight across uh, the Atlantic Ocean um, to talk about a little mayor named Pete Buttigieg. Karen, what's this guy's deal? Well, I wouldn't just say that he's a little mayor. I would say he's arguably the littlest mayor, you know, in the grand. (laughs) (laughs) um, Short king, short king, short king. Yeah. Yeah. We stand, we, we, we stand short kings on the show. So, I mean, yeah. where do you start with him? He, uh, he, I mean, he's he's not just a cop. He's the special kind of cop as, that's known as a troop. So he's already, Ooh. he's all. We stand. Yeah. <laughs> he's already got some interesting ideas on uh, the Muslim community, I'm sure, if you nailed down to it, having shot many of them in the face on their own turf. So, um, I I mean, so I should probably start this by saying I was on Facebook the other day and there's a person who I generally respect who was going all in on Mayor Pete. And he was like, oh, he's the most exciting candidate that we've seen and he's really going to reinvigorate the DNC. And to me, I cannot even imagine a, a parallel universe as directed by Jordan Peele where this would be possible because <laughs> all he does is sort of speak in this weird sort of tech speak sort of thing about how everybody's going to paradigm shift their way to a better job and a better tomorrow, except for his actual his actual track record is A, sparse, B, not flattering, I mean, he's made several quite racist uh, plans in South Bend. Um, he basically... Ra- like what? <laughs> he raised some communities that were uh, primarily black and Latino communities um, in order to make way for gentrification. And uh, that's, you know, the New York Times wrote about that. And, um, you know, he's he also was embroiled in a bit of a scandal over racist policing <laughs> New York Times. I mean, he sounds like the ideal Democrat to me. Yeah, yeah, I guess. He just, he, he, he just sounds like a guy who's very concerned about new people coming into particularly ungentrified areas and wanting to cut squash. Like, I don't see yeah. the problem with that. Sounds like a cool yeah. guy. I don't know. 
<laughs> exactly. That's um, why Hussein carries a knife because you never know when you might have to cut a squat. <laughs> so, uh, I, I have I have in my in my bank of notes here the other things that I think make him much beloved of Democrats in addition to supporting all of the policies that they claim to like wholeheartedly that they claim to support out of necessity. Um, he is young. Uh, he went to Harvard and Oxford. Yeah. Uh, and Damn, both, <laughs> and worked at and worked at McKinsey, um, served in the military, and um, was an intelligence officer. And once I lear- learned nor speaks seven languages, once learning Norwegian for the sole purpose of reading a book, which, as we all know, makes you a huge fucking nerd. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did he? Did he? Did he learn Norwegian to read that book where it's just that guy who tells his entire life story in like excruciating detail? <laughs> Please tell me it was that. I know. I don't know, but that would actually be cool. Because in many ways, that book is the Pete Buttigieg campaign. It's just like being barraged like with information about Pete Buttigieg and nothing about what he actually believes or thinks in any way. I mean, like, I mean, it's just like an unending list of like, and then Mayor Pete Buttigieg did this, and then he went to Afghanistan, and then he did this. Like, it's just uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, either that, where he learnt Norwegian, so you could read a Norwegian translation of Lolita. <laughs> no, it's it, it's Stan. It was much. It was. It was much. It's much more gripping, apparently, in the unoriginal Norwegian. Um, so, so yeah, that's he seems to be the king of qualifications. But he also, and those qualifications have led him to do some pretty uh, questionable things as as mayor of South Bend. Um, so what, what else, what can you tell us about his, uh, his campaign as, as well? His website doesn't have any of his policy positions on it. So all that you can do if you want to see his policy positions is look at a few articles that have sort of semi collected them online and, (laughs) and they're not actually, um, incredibly accurate or up to date, for instance, um, there he seems to be treading this line on uh, Medicare for all where he's saying like, oh, well, you know, that sounds like a good idea, except there still needs to be a place for the insurance companies in this somehow. And he wants to sort of. Why? Yeah. So <laughs> is there a reason? Does he give it? What, what on earth could be the reason that if we had <laughs> Medicare for all, we would also need private insurance companies yeah. unless he's looking to do like a job guarantee for guys who work at Aetna? Yeah. I, like he's just trying to make everyone happy. Medicare for some, <laughs> miniature American flags for others. You know, yeah. everyone's happy. I know that we've got a hot crowd here because everybody here has a nice little card that they show to their doctor and then they go away after the appointment is over, not having paid. So uh, <laughs> I... I <laughs> And that card is called the Blue Eyes White Dragon. But uh, but I always say this to people. If you think that any of the countries that um, that have socialized medicine don't also have private insurance companies for other uh, things that aren't covered by, you know, NHS or socialized medicine like we have here in Canada, they, those do still exist. And they do still exist for, you know, other you know, other purposes, you know, insuring pilots and insure, you know, all of those kinds of things that you need additional insurance for. So they, and and if you've ever driven past an insurance company, whether it be in London, whether it be in Toronto, uh, uh, they're doing all right. I mean, <laughs> the buildings are nice. There's no broken glass. Uh, everyone going in there looks like they've had a haircut. Uh, not really much to say about that. So, this idea that you know you still you know in 2019 we're still equivocating on this when you know six i think it's 65 percent of um 
bankruptcies in America are due to medical bills, which is an outrageously high number. <laughs> uh, you know, and in in a universe where people are, you know, putting up GoFundMe's to get insulin, I, I, that you're still equivocating on this is is it's um, sickening. Is what it is. So really what, what we're doing is Pete is not only saving crucial jobs in the insurance industry, he's also promoting a great American startup like GoFundMe. Well, it raises another question that I have, which is, you know, I live in the gay community and I uh, have many, many friends who are pretty active, uh, you know, advocates for the community and for gay rights. And for him to say on one hand sort of trade on the fact that he's the first openly gay man to be doing all of these things and then to also not say okay we need medicare for all because everybody needs prep <laughs> or you know or everybody needs access to uh you know antiretroviral drugs or you know um hospice care or things like that to me that is like you are missing a trick there and I think that the reason he's missing a trick there is because for a very cynical reason, which is that as soon as you talk about that, then people are going to actually focus on the fact that you are gay instead of, you know, the little little G.I. Joe figure <laughs> that you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because this is all like style over substance, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, like he's gay, but like only only for the reason it's, it's only being promoted for the reason of like that being like the tick box in the same way of like, look, Hillary is a woman, therefore right. she must be great rather than like, what does this guy actually believe? Right. And the idea that like we can't have Medicare for all because that would be like mean to the insurance companies is hilarious because like as though insurance companies, like you were saying, wouldn't continue to exist. Like as though like it like putting on the more buses on the road would mean that no one would be able to make cars anymore. Like just this like yeah. bizarre, weird, like zero sum game of the way the world works. So, <laughs> it's, you know what it is? It's kind of an axis in thinking of the of the extreme Brendan O'Neill of the extreme Brendan O'Neill mode of ah yes you you've put on another bus on the route this will make cars obsolete it's Stalinism yeah. and the and the liberal technocratic um, triangulating which is the look. There is a huge problem with private insurance companies in 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 America denying people crucial health care, mm-hmm. but we've been doing it for a while. So if we try to solve this problem, we'll probably just create new and bigger problems. It's like the only difference between someone like Brendan O'Neill and Pete Buttigieg is that Brendan O'Neill has the courage of his convictions. Yeah, right. The only way to stop a private insurance company is to think like a private insurance company, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they need to be involved in the solution. <laughs> So I, I've got a couple of uh, of of readings uh, from from Vox uh, in Pete's uh, own words. Yeah. Uh, so he, let's let's <laughs> Such try as this they one. Are. <laughs> I mean, look, all of all of Pete's own words might as well have been written by Vox.com because the the man just opens his mouth and graphs come out, but they don't they're not charting anything. Um, <laughs> He's the first ever like fully deaf intelligible man because <laughs> he just talks in visual aids. Uh, from from Vox in Pete's own words, I think of myself as progressive, so there's one person who thinks of him as progressive. Yeah. But I also believe in capitalism, but it has to be democratic capitalism. Absolute what? twaddle. What I mean, what's that like, mean? What, it doesn't it's mean a, anything. I mean, it's very, it's it's just like business management speak, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, he worked at McKinsey. Yeah, which is why, like, every time you know, it's just like it's just like the independent group shit. You know, like the types of shit that they come out with. It's like it doesn't actually mm. mean anything, but like you've seen it on like a PowerPoint presentation at some point when you were like at a conference in Chester in like a Holiday Inn, and you thought it sounded fun. 
um, and now you're using it in your political campaign. <laughs> He's doing the mafia thing. He's like, this isn't a business. It's a family. <laughs> <laughs> it really feels like somebody sat in a room with him and they were like, okay, Bernie is going to say democratic socialism. So here's how you're going to spin it on him. <laughs> <laughs> That Bernie Sanders thinks he's so smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's basically got you know like how you have those like bingo things, like uh, like every time question time is on or something. He has one of those, but in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Like he's just yeah. he's just he just carries like a bingo card in his wallet with all these phrases. Yep. <laughs> he's oh he's helping America ingenuitize the future. Um, mm. Whereas he just has like a load of cards that he pulls out at random, and he's like uh growth. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I think that I think Hussein, I think you said something um quite quite um, quite sort of penetrating about this which is the comparison with Tig um which for the benefit of any, any new listeners is of course the breakaway group from Labour that has basically said our new ideas are what Tony Blair did. Um <laughs> and it seems like Pete Buttigieg's new ideas his transformative new ideas are that look Trump may Trump has shown us that capitalism can be bad that capitalism can make people feel alienated and then alienated people can vote for a fascist. So what we have to do is go back to what capitalism was before it alienated everybody. So he's like, no, what we're going to do is we're going to turn back time till just before the financial crisis, and then we're going to do that forever, mm-hmm. and we're going to do it by regulating smarter and coming up with ethical technology solutions to the homelessness problem, which, uh, as we pointed out, is something he actually said once. Yeah. And you know what that sounds like? That sounds like that one year at South by Southwest where they decided that they were going to um, lowjack the homeless with those Wi-Fi connectors so they could... <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> Oh, oh fuck, yes, yeah. I remember that. We have we remember that well here at TM. Yeah. Here, here at T- Trash Future Farms, we remember. Yeah. <laughs> it just um, slamming. I'm slamming F on my keyboard right now. Out of respect for that moment. I mean, you, I, I don't want to jump ahead to you know step on the bit here, but I mean, really, this is the, the essence with him is that he's going to be his own undoing because if he ever has to get on stage with somebody like Bernie Sanders, who has been through it as far as um, having to debate people, Bernie is going to just absolutely tear his ass open because he's going to be using all of these terms that don't mean anything. And Bernie is going to be like, okay, specifically what? And then he's going to go, oh, and he's, his little brain's going to go tilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's that's the thing. It's, 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 Look, what have you got written on those cards? Why won't you show them to anyone? <laughs> <laughs> the... The, yeah, that's the thing is the um, is when when all of your ideas are, are basically just nostalgia or when all of your ideas are basically just let's go back. Remember the West Wing? Remember how you felt when you watched the West Wing? Let's feel like that again. But at, at the same time, when we also have other candidates like Bernie or like Elizabeth Warren, who are actually say, like, I don't fully agree with Elizabeth Warren, but I mean, she's certainly better than Buttigieg. She's very um, practiced, too. If you've ever seen yeah. her in an interview, she knows her shit. Yeah. So. And and and, that, and he's just saying, ah, it, you know what this is? This is, and we get this in Britain, too. It's the confidence that comes from having always been told that you're special. Yeah. And so he's he's basically just had a series of elite of elite degrees. Yeah. He's had a series of prestigious as, uh, ed, bits of education. He's never seems to have lost lost at anything. He's just always 
gotten the next tick box for being the smartest specialist boy and then you he just is filled with ideas that he could that basically just amount to taking a good exam that that seem like policy prescriptions like ah i see technology has driven us further apart while bringing us together interesting i wonder if it could help the homelessness help help the homelessness problem <laughs> without sort of understanding that these aren't technical problems they're problems of politics yeah He's 37, and I guarantee he still goes, well, we don't have majors at Harvard. We have concentrations. <laughs> and I feel like what? That's a very high concentration of bullshit in everything he says. <laughs> That's so weird. That's so weird. Okay, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I know that was like beyond the point, but I've never heard that before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't well, know Harvard is clown college, as we know. <laughs> of course. As, 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 look, as is Oxford, realistically. Yeah, but still, it's like so. Like at Oxford, you actually have to like do things. <laughs> like, um, Harvard is just school, but expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'll, I'll, I will point. I will. I will. I will say this. Like at at least Oxford and Cambridge teach you how to bullshit very effectively when without resorting to management consulting style speak. They turn you into like they turn you into like a like a fun a fun bullshit artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You become like like a posh sounding Zizek, <laughs> whereas it seems like Harvard just sort of drains the life out of you and re- gets you ready for a career in venture capital or inve- or investment banking or strategy consulting or the Naval Reserve, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got one more um, one more quote from from Vox on Mayor Pete, which I just I read and I read a couple of times. Um, he's being asked by the interviewer. But there are a group of people who embrace one of, the, one of these labels you speak of. The broader left or socialist left that you see in the Democratic Party today. How do you see that left flank's role in the overall party? And Pete responds, I think it's positive and important because we need to actually see f- the farthest boundaries of our idea space. Fucking wow. <laughs> what a sentence. Yeah. I mean, what, a ma- what, a, what a soup of words. We, we, the left is not important because of anything it could do. It's not important because it's responding to any kind of need or because it's a political project. It's important because it generates a lot of interesting new frontiers of the mind palace. Yes. (laughs) Simba, everything the light touches is our idea space. There's sort of a weird implication of that because there's been so much press about, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, you know, being sort of on the the vanguard of the, the you know the bleeding edge of the the left, which by the way she isn't obviously, and I don't think I have to explain that to anybody on this call. But um, this idea that you know somehow like the government paying for you know menstrual products is this like next generation like you know science fiction. Now that's what I call the bleeding edge of the left. Science fiction future, yeah, and it's like no, like you. A sweetheart, like, you know, Harvard, Oxford, like, they all have copies of the, you know, of the writings of Marx. They all have copies of, you know, some major socialist thought. And you could have looked up any of this during your tenure. And that's... I was going to say, like, a really good example of this type of strange thinking uh, came earlier this week with the Jordan Peterson Zizek debate, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, he basically, like, Peterson lost it because he hadn't actually read Marx, yeah. despite, like, talking about him all the time. I mean, yeah. I, Damn, in, foiled by the one thing he thought no one would check. In his, de- <laughs> in his defense, 
Toronto, the University of Toronto, most of the people who've gone there probably haven't read it. And also most of the people who are professors there haven't read it because it's one of those, mm. it's one of Canada's sort of Ivy League and name only places where you can tell people that you went there and they're very impressed by it, but it is not particularly... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I can certainly say that uh, Karl Marx was my least favorite of the Marx brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I found Groucho to be much more engaging. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the Marx brother who's trying to tear down western hegemony. Uh <laughs> exactly. we we love it. Yeah, it's the it's it's that the 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 thing that strikes me about him is, about this is back back to back to Buttigieg is quite simply just that he is his he he's do, he's done this thing. We've talked about the this before on the podcast where he seems to just see the world as an interplay of ideas uh-huh. and he has after sort of being a center-right mayor in South Bend, has seen the winds of change shift left and so has dutifully shifted with them a little bit while triangulating his position still to try and maintain some imaginary coalition where he's got 100% of the vote because he's just that impressive. Mm. And... And it, it and well, I mean, the, come on, Roddy. There's never been a gay guy in the Navy before. <laughs> <laughs> and it sh- and the, what really, it sh- what I think it, sh- it shows me as well is that He's got. He's doing the. He's doing the thing where he's imagining all of these ideas just as sort of pamphlets. They're not expressions of anything bigger. They're not. Yep. They're not expressions of power. Yep. They're just these freewheeling ideas that are floating around, interacting with one another. And as the job of a politician, it's his job to make sure the most ideas interact with each other, so we can pick the winner of the ideas Hunger Games and then make it into a policy where the homeless are turned into Wi-Fi hotspots. Exactly. Yeah. But he, I mean, the other thing too is like, there's two things that sort of trouble me about the people who are kind of turned on by his campaign. One, I really feel like there is a strong contingent of people that, you know, their, their self-identification that they are cool with a gay person is superseding the things that he's actually saying and the things that he's actually doing and the things that he's actually about. And you know, the Democrats need to reconcile with that because this is what gets them into all the trouble with races. And this is what get, got them into trouble with Ilan Omar. This is, uh, you know, <laughs> this they don't seem to be able to, to negotiate these situations because, quite frankly, there aren't enough people of color around them or, you know, people from different backgrounds or people who are immigrants or whatever around them on a given day for them to actually be chill. Like, they're sort of like, oh... I go for Ethiopian food with my, you know, <laughs> mixed race friend once a month kind of thing. And you're like, okay, great. Um, thanks. He's real. He's half white, half Irish. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then. And so, so what are you saying? Is that, is that the, what they are, they're allowing their, they're allowing to have their support of him as a gay candidate. They're allowing it to occlude the fact that they're, many of the policies they support are pretty harmful to the gay community in general. Yeah, I mean, it's quite clear that he has a neoliberal bent. I mean, you look at the things that he did in South Bend, you look at the things that he's about. I don't think that, you know, people who voluntarily go into the military in the year of our Lord 2000 and whatever, I don't think are particularly leftist. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, Marc Francois seems, you know... Oh, you don't know. Yeah, Go, sorry, famed communist Marc Francois. Yeah. Um, one, one small, one small thing. This is just a a producer a producer's note. Um, our, our 
our pro our producer is a is a leftist veteran who left who was sort of horrified by what he saw in Afghanistan and became a veteran a leftist after that. Right. So I think he might he might disagree. That's fair, with that but I think okay, but I think that it's generally the the people who go into service have a, a slightly different view of America, especially if they're white and you know <laughs> of a certain social class. So, you know, I, I, you know. And especially to stay a neoliberal after experiencing that, like not to right. become. Right. Yeah. But Buttigieg is really just like a Sandhurst guy, right? Like even, even in British army terms, there's like a fun, there's a real difference between like people who like join, you know, the, the local, uh, you know, TA or they go like join the kind of regional uh, barracks. And then you've got this class of like officer gentlemen from Sandhurst who like join the army because like they're obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, and it sort of found, sounds as if like Buttigieg is really that kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I think is disconcerting that plays into that sort of thing that I was just describing—that sort of reading him as different because it's more important for that person to support a gay candidate than to actually listen to what he's saying—is that the things that he says really have sort of a double meaning or or you know there is like sort of a uh i don't want to use the word dog whistle because of the connotation but really the people who are already neoliberal are hearing things like oh he's progressive enough for my tastes and then the people who are um mm -hmm. you know sort of wondering if he's leftist are hearing him say things like medicare for all is a good idea and then shutting their ears off <laughs> and not listening yeah, yeah. to the rest of it you know and so i I don't know. He's a bloody mess. I don't know what else I can say about yeah. it. But Damn. I really honestly think he's going to be his own undoing. I really do. I think, you know, everybody was ha thought that Beto was going to just beat everybody's pants off. And that really hasn't materialized. Everybody was sort of talking about Howard Schultz for about, you know, three weeks. And then that hasn't really materialized into anything of substance. Um, I think he's just sort of the next one that people are sort of, oh, well, maybe he's having his Ben Carson moment. Maybe, you know, <laughs> there was a point in time <laughs> when people thought that Ben Carson had a legitimate shot at uh, the presidency. So a heated Ben Carson moment. It's the thing where he, he's doing liberal ipsum. He's just saying all of he's saying all of these things. He's making the right sounds. And columnists who need something to write about can then write about him as the next big thing. Uh -huh. yeah. But his constituency never really expands beyond columnists. Yeah, because he's like that guy who's trying to be like the average of everything. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm trying to be like the like the perfect opinion, like what you were saying earlier, which ends up being an opinion that appeals to no one, right? Like, that's what putting the Wi-Fi router on the homeless is. Yeah. That's like, oh, yeah, we've averaged out every political view held by anyone ever, and it's bottomed out on the only policy we can have is put, making the wi like the homeless Wi-Fi hotspots. And like, yeah, no one likes this policy, but fuck it. It's the, it's the correct policy by some like weird platonic form of like what the right. policy should be. And so so obviously he won't win. He'll just get destroyed by Trump because like Trump will start calling him like Mayor Piss Buttface or something. And then, yeah. and then like everyone will just be shouting that at him while he's trying to talk about like growth in the economy. Yes, indeed. We can all be together in this land of opportunity, but also insurance. Can't we all agree? Yeah. But isn't, what, what's worse is that like what I've noticed is that even when Trump has kind of made these comments, like made this disparaging comments about the Democratic nominees, like people kind of just see that as oh he's really scared like he's really scared yeah. of my feet 
Like he's really scared. He like this is you know this is him showing his fear, and it's like no, it's not. And yeah. like I saw my my big worry is that like even with any of these candidates, that this whole idea that like this you know we're kind of judging the reactions of this unhinged old like boot like fucking idiot um, as like the metric of how the election will go completely misses the policy discussions or even like critique of like these pretty shitty ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. The thing is, is like, you know, there's no president Ted Cruz because, you know, Trump managed to call him low energy Ted. Uh, <laughs> you know, so honestly, all he needs to say is teeny peedy or something like that. And it's all over. Um, because really, I mean, the the liberal outrage machine that was in full force for Hillary didn't actually engage on what you're saying, which is didn't engage on the fact that she had some very serious deficits when it came to foreign policy and her own voting record and um, her approach to the gay community and her approach to the black community and black policing. And, you know, it's, you know, that was all sort of swept under the rug because you were considered to be misogynistic if you brought any of that up. <laughs> and, you know... This guy, he says he was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. It's not even a real place. Has anyone been there? They haven't been there. I had my people look it up. Very good people. Yeah. It doesn't exist, folks. It's not real. This guy is a fraud. <laughs> I really honestly believe that the only people he's legitimately scared to stand across, uh, you know, from in a debate are... Um, Bernie, because I really legitimately think that Bernie could actually beat his ass. <laughs> um, just, just have them fight. <laughs> yeah. Just because I can tangle with you, young man. <laughs> just because, I've handled bigger. Yeah. They turn, turn all of the caucus primaries into bare knuckle boxing matches. <laughs> or like old school wrestling, <laughs> like leotards. Love him or hate him, Bernie has sort of the same hubris uh, that um, Richard Nixon had, which is that he doesn't actually give a shit what he looks like. He doesn't give a shit. Um, you know, about his inflection. He doesn't give a shit about any of the, the esoteric nature of the debate. He only cares about getting up there, slamming his hand down and saying, you know, we need to tax billionaires or whatever. And legitimately don't think that Trump has enough going on that he can be agile enough to counter that. And I feel similarly about Elizabeth Warren. And I think that Elizabeth Warren is sort of a magical situation there where he is going to try the same thing on her that he tried with Hillary, but it isn't going to work because she, A, is very good in an interview or in any kind of uh, debate. If you've ever seen her <laughs> sit on the panel, I'm sorry about this reference, on you know Real Time with Bill Maher or any of the times when <laughs> she's been on any kind of panel, she is pretty good and pretty um, you know, calculated. So I think he's going to he's going to go f- with one tactic that has worked for him and it won't work on her and it's going to expose ex- the extreme misogyny that Hillary fans sort of claimed was there but is actually going to be there for Elizabeth and we've already seen the reaction to him calling her Pocahontas and things like that and that's only going to go to 11 <laughs> if he has this to go. The, I was going to say this is of course unless he employs the greatest debate coach of all time which is jordan peterson yes <laughs> if he cleans his room we know we're fucked yeah oh, no. anyway so i think that um that's that's more or less that's more or less mater pete um a flash in the pan who probably won't get through three primaries but it was yeah. certainly earned himself book deals to like 
pay for his lifestyle until the rest. So I'm going to do that again. But who has certainly earned himself book deals to like pay his like mortgage on his second and third homes for the rest of his life. Oh, so yeah. congratulations to Pete. Oh, CNN will have him on in a heartbeat. I mean, he'll be you know he'll he'll be there standing there you know moderate moderating the in house uh, breakdown of debates and stuff like that for them. That'll be his oh, absolutely. future. Love a pundit. <laughs> All you um, need to do is have your brain annotated and then you can become a British columnist. <laughs> <laughs> so pulling back uh, across the ocean to um, to the UK, here's here's what's going on in London. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's very hot out. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I've been just being, being drunk in parks uh, until, well, basically now, more Near or less. Ryan, Diane Abbott. Just- <laughs> yeah. Just, just, just getting those tinnies in. in I, I, I really love this weather because it means I get to take my shirt off and show off my really great tattoo of an angel with really giant tits sitting on a love heart, <laughs> sitting on a love heart which says "Mum," which I feel like is like the most British, like the most British, like uh, tattoo you could get. It's a page three tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> People always ask Hussein, "Why did you get that tattoo of Milo's mum?" Uh, <laughs> um. So, but the problem is, one of the reasons it's so hot is that the earth is dying and everything is, is, ah, sorry, everybody. There's always a catch, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah. Damn. And, um, so what's happened is this group Extinction Rebellion, as many people in the UK will know, as people outside of the UK might not know, has mass mobilized a group of people to more or less shut down elements of London for sort of large stretches of time. Um, they've shut down Waterloo Bridge. They said they would shut down Heathrow Airport. As far as I'm aware, that hasn't really emerged yet. Although mm-hmm. that may make one particular person very happy, which we'll address later. Yeah. Um, and they've just generally been... They've taken over Oxford Circus. I think they're still there in Marble Arch. They're mm-hmm. basically taking over all the bits of London that I never go to and will never go to because it's all the shitty bits. So, fine. Yeah, they're annoying tourists, basically. Yeah. And the, the columnists are so angry. They're so mad. Uh, so I've got I two- deserve to be able to buy mini replica phone box key rings at any time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you see what Julia Hartley Brewer did? Like, she was basically, like, calling for a jihad against these, like, environment protesters. Excuse yeah. me? Yeah, she <laughs> wanted to run a truck into them. Mm. But she was tweeting about that this morning. I saw it. And I, I actually, oh, I, oh, I tagged in Scotland Yard and asked them if they could explain it to her. <laughs> I love a I love a column that begins. <laughs> Those are my favourite ones. She was like, if I'm driving down Westminster Bridge or whatever, am I allowed to am I allowed to run them over like it's legally like I'm legally entitled to? And everyone was like, no, like that's terrorism, Julia. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's such a common right wing fantasy, which is the you just wish that your opponents would break a little bit of a rule so that you would mm. be justified in murdering them. Yeah, it's classic. Um, um, and like that's I actually didn't see that one. That one's that one's very good. Oh, she did some really she did some really dumb tweet yesterday. Um, as well. Well, I'm sure she did. But then there are, there are a couple others, um, which are two of my other favorite. Because there's there's two kinds of reaction to Extinction Rebellion. There's 
the, there's the first one, which is appears to be, ah, God, these these climate protesters who I think are wrong. I wish I could kill them about it. And then there's the other kind, which yeah. is the nerd kind, which is um, this is from um, Ian Dale's show on LBC. An Extinction Rebellion campaigner calling for urgent action against climate change admitted that he took a taxi today because he was in a rush to get to the protest. Owned. Delete your account. Are you familiar with the uh, Matt Lipchen? comic about uh, capitalism where... Yeah, it's the well guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this smacks of so badly, and you always hear about it. And they tried to do this with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, too, after the Green New Deal. And she was like, do you have a better idea for how I can get someplace within two hours, which is what I need to do for my job? Like, that's the limits of our technology. (laughs) (laughs) This, This really nails, like, the argument that a lot of these, like, shithead pundits are making, right? Which is like, oh, these people are like interrupting others, like getting on with their lives and going to work. Um, you know, so like their argument is like, oh, these protesters are the real ones who are wrong because they're stopping like all these social, like, well, number one, like who actually like rides with taxis anyway? Because I went down to the extinction protest, the extinction rebellion protest mm-hmm. this week, and they haven't obstructed any tubes. They haven't really obstructed any bus routes except for the ones that go into central. And even then, like, they let buses go through. So it's really only like cars and taxis, which Mm. are inconvenienced when it goes through like the center of the city. Now, who are the people who are like mostly taking taxis through? It's mostly just like, you know, business dudes, management consultants and pundits who need to like go on the radio in like an hour to talk about why these protests are bad, which is actually what happened. Like um, radio four have this program called uh, any questions, which is like an audio question time. Um, and they had like a panelist who was just who basically said, "But oh, these Extinction Rebellion people like almost made me uh, not come on this show." And it sounded as if like his life was like dependent <laughs> on it, right? Yeah. I was rushing over in a cab from my previous radio interview at a different station where I was explaining why we should all be able to say the that, N-word. That, that, that's, that's, literally, that's actually what he said, barring the last bit, which I mean, he probably did. He was just like, oh, I was trying to go yeah. from Westminster to like Green Park and I was in a taxi and it took me ages. It's like, well, Westminster Green Park isn't that long a walk. Like you can get one tube stop. Yeah. Like I don't nope, you know. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to get the taxi no matter how many lives and limbs it claims. It's like, it's, it's terrorism, but for because you you sort of because you're pissed this is it's, i mean it's terrorism yeah. but for the political end of being pissed i mean this is like pundit terrorism isn't it it's kind of like oh shit <laughs> like they've interrupted my income flow and how how am i going to be racist in really crisp audio condition yeah uh, or just, these people are like <laughs> or just they're there they're <laughs> there and i don't like it because right. i have to see it and i i have to be exposed to someone who is anything other than a, than a supplicant yep. and yeah. they just get filled with this with either bizarre murderous rage or they resort to um doing what i often say is mm. is the experience of being talked to by a british pundit yeah. which is being like being condescended to by someone with the, with their butt flap of their prospector under open or reading a book upside down yeah, yeah. Like, it's just moronic it's something particularly british about somebody named jerome twats hyphen titticomb who, you know, has a Habsburg jaw. My father, thank you. And he, uh, you know, they inherited all of their wealth from, you know, being actually, you know, being a bargain basement slaver, you know, during the Victorian era, telling you that the real terrorism is making them late to the Groucho Club or whatever. I mean, it's just so, 
you know, yeah, and and then engendering sympathy from people f- for holding that opinion. That's the thing that's particularly visible about the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's the last refuge of these people who are like completely, completely wrong about everything, but they can't like. They can't double down on it in the way that the American pundits can. They can't go like full Fox News and just be like, yeah. oh, climate change isn't real. Like, they, they can't do yeah. that. They have to be like, they have to come up with some like insane, ridiculous, hypothetical way in which actually like the real climate change is the people protesting it. They can't just be like, <laughs> okay, actually climate change is going to like kill us all if we don't do something about it. And these people, although we may not agree with absolutely everything they're doing, are actually the only people who seem to be like actually trying to put any pressure on the government who is realistically the only person in a position to do anything about this because like whether you take a fucking taxi or not it's not going to affect whether like shell decides to like kill the planet in the next week like it's just like and they know yeah. that they fucking know it they just have to sit there and go like well you seem to care a lot about climate change and yet you yourself have been on holiday to a warm place what's wrong with the warmth all of a sudden now <laughs> and you've got such a double whammy too because you've got michael gove there who i mean fuck you know to borrow a phrase if he fell in a bu- bucket of tits he'd come out sucking his own thumb and he's in charge of all of this <laughs> right yes <sighs> i what fucking a, love what that phrase. A phrase we are we are we're, wow <laughs> yeah riley and i are both reeling from that phrase but what a phrase <laughs> but he is it sent me flying i mean he is if you drop mayor pete Buttigieg in a bucket of tits he'd come up saying well i think this is a metaphor for the economy <laughs> <laughs> and I respect the tits for their uh, d- deep uh, leftist bleeding edge message. Yeah. These these tits show us the boundaries of our That's idea right. space. <laughs> Good lord! Uh, but the other the thing is also it's like it's like this is especially the, the British pundit class is sort of so so risible that they have seen a group of people who are you know in. Like I'm not sort of super familiar with the tactics of Extinction Rebellion. I've mm. heard like some mixed things, but I mean it's generally good that they're forcing action, um, and that you know that there's whole class of boomer pundits has looked at people who are trying earnestly to make a world that doesn't boil and who are trying to like just make make society less cruel to like the people who it's been cruel to for the last forever and the first thing they think of is ah so you must think i'm the asshole then and it's like i'm sorry like yes everyone does but actually this is about a different thing (laughs) (laughs) um the red trousers told us that sweetheart we didn't need anything else (laughs) (laughs) to to that end i've got a telegraph article here that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna spin through before we i suppose you want to take away my bucket of tits now do you (laughs) (laughs) we must must seize the bucket of tits and redistribute them exactly (laughs) um the brain dead eco snobs causing mayhem on our streets are beyond parody and this is of course from the telegraph what a fucking sentence (laughs) um If any satirist wanted to mock the green movement, they could not have come up with anything more absurd than this week's frankly infantile protests in London. Unlike I, a person who is immune to satire of any kind. (laughs) As the demonstrators continue to bring gridlock to the capital, their laughable middle-class preciousness has been on full display. The disruption organized by the Extinction Rebellion campaign might be a severe aggravation for workers who actually have to earn their living, but it has been one long street party for an army of well-heeled social parasites. 
So much going on there. Well-heeled <laughs> social parasites. Yeah, because not wanting to die is its actually its middle class, as opposed to like good northern working people who just love mining coal, having a lager, and looking at the tits on the page three girl. No, but looking now, at the tits in the bucket. The Labour Party <laughs> put them all in a bucket. Yeah. They're not on page three anymore. They're in the bucket. And yeah. we're not allowed to burn to death anymore, which means our lagers will all be cold. And as we all know, we like warm lagers. Suddenly it's all one size tits all. You know, you can't, you can't have custom tits like you used to you just be get whatever's left in the bucket that's communism there's vat um, on looking in the bucket now so yeah, yeah. <laughs> after the after the porn ban comes in in july you'll just have you, we just have the bucket and we all have to look and just peek into it and then pass it on but it's also this like, is what this, stalin yeah. dreamed of these people love it like as though like no one who's like not not like doesn't live in abject poverty or like work down a mine and is allowed to care about anything otherwise it's like null and void unlike them who all make two hundred thousand pound a year from like spewing their like warm diarrhea opinions across the pages of all of the newspapers they are the kind of people they have their finger on the pulse of what the working class thinks don't they oh yes absolutely me me this guy who's like so addled with ports that i'm unable to really finish a sentence without saying something like well-heeled social parasite i am the person who stands up for the working class of this country <laughs> well it's that it's i think one of the big things that we can see we can see here is that is that this that the opinion of the reactionary british columnist is go, is actually quite common it's that i believe in being and that our society should be crueler and stupider so i'm going to freely engage in all the things that that you say are cruel and stupid because mm. i think that's fine however you as someone who's trying to make anything marginally better if you like fly somewhere or take a taxi then you're a hypocrite so it's like you if you want the world to be a nicer place and you're not wearing like sackcloth and string and riding a donkey to work then you're a hypocrite whereas i who you know fortunately at trash future we do do that so (laughs) whereas i you know leo mckinstry uh, author of this article i'm free to be a dickhead because (laughs) i don't because i don't even pretend to be to want anything better for the world um, Leo McKinstry sounds like one of your Tory cabinet ministers. <laughs> Absolutely. He sounds like someone I made up. Um, but no one encapsulated the green bullying sense of entitlement better than leading activist Robin Boardman Pattinson, uh, who has used the media this week to give us the benefit of his precocious wisdom. With he- <laughs> Unlike me! <laughs> With hectoring certainty, his authoritarian impulse and affluent background on show, the 21 years old Bristol University Languages graduate is almost like a parody of a fashionable eco warrior. <laughs> a lot of projection there, huh? I know. It's just, ah, oh, it's, ah, ah. Here, here's more. Here's more. He lived much of his life in suburban Beckenham, where his parents have a million pound house. And before going. I like me! <laughs> an overpaid columnist! He attended the 17,500 pound a year private trinity school in Croydon. Unlike me, a columnist (laughs) in the British media, someone who would never have attended a private school. Boardman Pattinson no doubt believes that his personal hypocrisy is outweighed by the passion of his concern for the planet. Unlike me. (laughs) It really seems like he went on a semester abroad or he went to Thailand after he, you know, for his gap year or whatever and never got laid. Like he... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fell, he fell in the bucket of tits. Yeah. Came out sucking his thumb. Exactly. <laughs> I fell in the bucket of tits and all I got was this lousy ping pong ball. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and that's and this is where it gets to the, the other element, right? Which is the, moreover, there is nothing democratic about their posturing, McKinstry says. Mm. As though, um, no, there, there is nothing democratic about campaigning for something. 
I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, they didn't they didn't take like a full census of what everyone in the country thought and made sure that their process accurately reflected the exact average of what everyone thought. Like, he's like, like, yeah, as though like democratic action means that everyone has to agree with you. Yeah. Uh, again, unlike me, a columnist who no one fucking agrees with. And yeah, <laughs> I constantly shout from my massive platform about how we should like, I don't know, there are too many genders or like actually climate change is good because I like a car. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I love the, the, the Trustafarian eco-bloggers and landowning organic farmers. Wait, hang on a second. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah, anyway, continue. I just had to process that for a second. The Trustafarian eco-bloggers and landowning organic farmers would be insulated by their wealth, but people on low incomes would str- struggle to cope with soaring energy bills, tax hikes, job losses, and fuel price increases associated with uh, greening the economy. Wow, that's a real hell earth that no one can ap- appreciate. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not happening it's now. It's not like we could do anything else. No. It's not like we could green yeah. the economy and, you know, make like non-landowning organic farmers or trustafarian eco-bloggers like be able to mm. cope with a different source of energy. I did, like the brass neck of these people where he's just like, okay, so that th- yeah, they like if they did this, then the world would be like this. And then he gives a description of exactly what the world is like now. And also with the implicit thing being like, I'm also a person who doesn't believe we should do anything about any of this. No. But my <laughs> suggestion is that like the person who does want to do something about some of it is disingenuous because he doesn't, he's not focusing on absolutely all of it. Like it's like absolutely like this man gouged his own brain out with a melon baller and then tried to write this article by just like whack his dick onto a sort of soundboard of like various like ridiculous conservative tropes like <laughs> in between like weeping in agony from his crippling gout we haven't checked on him today but somebody should check his twitter mentions to see if he's wished the queen a happy birthday yet <laughs> oh hell yeah he does it every day regardless <laughs> of whether it's her birthday or not just in case <laughs> um what seems to really motivate the uh, the Greens is a quasi-religious hatred of capitalism driven by a belief that we should all be punished for the sins of technological process. Kinky. Sorry, I'm back. I was here the whole time. <laughs> this guy's like dark Buttigieg. Like, it's just words. It's just words being thrown out into a like... Um, into a sort of general soup of yeah. meaningless drivel. Yeah, it's, it's like... Well, it's 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 like he's looked at the, the clearly people are like we should probably change some stuff. Capitalism has more or less done some bad things for the world. Let's let's at least try greening the economy. And he's like, ah, you're just a bunch. You just want to you just want to punish everyone, and you want to punish me. You just want to punish everyone for the sick technologies that we've created and the decadent society that we're in. I bet you just want to you just want to whip me with a flog, don't you? Like you he's can so really afraid. feel the boner in the article. We have only had the dick sucking machine for ten short days, and they already want to take it away. This cannot pass. But I mean, really, let's get down to it. This guy would have no kind of uh, policies that, uh, uh, to offer on his own for any kind of ecological anything. He, his idea would be send his Polish maid down to do clean for the queen. The next time it's in the Daily Mail, <laughs> like that's all we do. Like, well, that's fine. Ugh. Environment's clean now. So there's yeah. no more uh, Monster Munch bags on the, the tube. So we're good. 
It's so good. Oh, I, lo- I love the Daily Mail on the road. I, I, I read this article in the Daily Mail today where they were like having a massive go at Meghan Markle because apparently she's like ghosted people she used to be friends with. And I'm like, oh, yes, the Daily Mail locked in eternal struggle between two things that they love, the royal family and racism. <laughs> Which yeah. side will they come down on today? Well, <laughs> the breathless coverage of her closing a car door whilst pregnant is quite... Uh... <laughs> You do know that's the second time there's been breathless coverage of her closing her own car door, right? Yeah, mm. I mean, the whole thing. <laughs> the, first time G- the first time Giles Corrin said, well, m- men are only useful to close women's cars doors now, I guess, because, like, gender. So I guess, Meghan Markle, you might as well have slammed my manhood in the door. Yeah. That- I love how much ground Giles Corrin always concedes to the other side every time he asks. He's like, yeah, this is the only point of men now. <laughs> like, just give us this one thing. Rather than trying to find any other thing that men could do and argue for that. It's doors. It's doors or nothing. I'm trying to remember what that was. He had an incredible self own at Christmas this year, and I can't remember what it was exactly. So unlike Giles Corrin. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's it's hard, yeah. I wish I could come up with it at this stage of the game because it was one where I was literally, I was in tears reading about it. And it was like a big, long Twitter feed where people were going in on him. Oh, I wish I could come up with it. That's... Again, it's never happened with Giles yeah. Corrin. Um, so to, to wrap this to wrap this article. Indeed, in their extremism, the eco-agitators willingly refuse to recognize the remarkable progress that Britain has already made on this front. As demonstrated by the recent creation of a huge offshore wind industry and dramatic falls in carbon emissions. The Greens wail about pollution, yet in the great smog of 1952 in London, it is estimated that 12,000 people had died and more than 150,000 were hospitalized. That would be unthinkable today. Yeah, because things got better. And like he's like, oh, things got better once, so we should never let them get better again. Even though I am actually curiously in my own article citing this st- statistic that proves that actually things were massively improved by this thing that we did before. But somehow I also believe that we shouldn't do anything else to improve things ever because we've now done enough. Or that if we are going to do anything else about it, the most important thing is that I'm not made late. Mm. It was just a, it, guys, it was just the flute. <laughs> yeah, we used to have like that's why we used to have great smogs is because we didn't take action to prevent people from doing the kinds of things that caused great smogs. And it's like no, we just allow this thing to happen naturally. Also, there it's was like, this gl- whole thing called the establishment of the NHS that seems to be getting a little bit uh, <laughs> thrown over <laughs> in this whole this whole description. I mean, it would be unthinkable today that that many people would be affected. Primarily because they would be able to seek treatment and primarily because there would be public health awareness campaigns. Mm. <laughs> no, no, it's um, it was it was just something that happened. And don't ask how. <laughs> yeah, no one can no one can possibly comment on it. It's just a kind of opaque mystery black box scenario. This has been. This has been, this has been pretty, pretty serious. We've been dealing with the um, with the. The, the the liberal word salad that is uh that is Pete Buttigieg and mm. we've been dealing with the um conservative <laughs> word salad that that yeah indeed though I was gonna say like like we've gone liberal ipsum and fascism ipsum mm-hmm. uh, I think we need a small palate cleanser because there has been an article that Milo and I have been just really obsessed with oh shit uh, it's amazing <laughs> I almost I almost got an erection from reading this article it was so bizarre it's Excellent. Um, and this is the first time we've ever actually read from this source, uh, uh, but I am so pleased about it. And it is in, it's from the conservative woman, which... To if the you, tune of the doors is American woman. Conservative woman! 
if you if which if you don't know is a magazine that an online only magazine where like all of the stuff that's too strange for the Daily Mail, Spectator, or Spiked goes. It's not, as far as I can tell, it's not particularly concerned with women's issues. It's just an aggregator of the most bizarre, personal, and... Like it's it is truly the bucket of tits of conservative <laughs> journalism. Indistinguishable from the Sunday sport on occasion, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's a newspaper with a lot of tits in it, yeah. if we're being fair. <laughs> it's a it's a treat. It's a real treat. And so this this article is entitled Heathrow Lax, Lazy, and So So Self Satisfied. Mm. Amazing. By Bruce Newsom. Uh, on international he's, he's security, talking about his friend, Mr. Heath Rowe, <laughs> an international uh, security specialist and traveling lecturer, and noted conservative woman. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's by conservative woman Bruce Newsom. Heath Rowe's problems, he writes, are symptomatic of Britain's wider malaise: overconsolidated, underaccountable, better at spitting than correcting, and self-serving more than public serving. Oh yes, Britain as a nation somehow overconsolidated and self-serving rather than public serving? Yeah, absolutely. Heathrow Heathrow is actually it's not actually an airport. It's a metaphor for Britain. Yeah, and Britain is somehow an individual? Yes, Britain's an airport. Yeah. It Britain's makes sense an airport. To me, baby. The airport is Britain. The two things are identical. Mm. Um in recent months, I had my own shocking experience with security problems at Heathrow that became public diplomacy problems. By the end, I realized this is an airport management that prefers to avoid rather than correcting its problems, that pretends to be the victim but can't provide evidence, and that is not as accountable to competition or government as it should be. How how can airports compete with each other? They're in different fucking places. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. You Chicago like, O'Hare. Wanna... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to ride the Chicago. I want I want a different option for flying into Chicago. I want an air. I want a, a mom and pop business to be able to start up its own airport. Yeah, <laughs> small a boutique airport. <laughs> like one flight a day. Yo, where I'm from in Canada, Niagara in the Lake, there is one of those. And Amazing. Whenever I, so when I fly into Toronto, it's actually way easier to then get a small flight from Toronto Billy Bishop Airport to Niagara and the Lake Airport. Billy Bishop Airport. Is that a porter run? Do they run to Niagara and the Lake? Uh, no, it's a it's actually you you have to tr- it's a private plane oh, yeah. that you can charter for like $250 because <laughs> it's a 15 minute flight. Yeah. Amazing. Um anyway, so yeah, I think I'm going to be taking that um this summer when I go see my dad. Anyway, uh, but I, I also see my dad on his private plane. <laughs> no, it's not your plane. It's just someone's is got there, a plane and you can pay them to fly. Bit, is there a bit of international orders exactly over Niagara Falls? If it's a plane serving anywhere in Canada, I can guarantee you it's filthy and it's from 1976. So don't, don't. Oh, that was a great year for planes. Actually, realistic, realistically, um, not to give any credence to the right, I probably shouldn't take a plane where I could drive there in an hour and a half. <laughs> Never mind. I'm probably not going to take that plane. <laughs> Anyway, uh, score I just thought one it was for the eco terrorists again. Damn, <laughs> exactly. I can't have Extinction Rebellion breaking onto my plane and then you know inconveniencing mm-hmm. me. Um, but 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 and so I also I love this idea that ah this airport's playing the victim. Yes. <laughs> against me, against me, the crusading journalist Bruce Newsom. Exactly. <laughs> I'm tired of victim culture in airports. Damn, these airports—they just want a safe space. That's why they've got all that security. 
you already know that this person thinks that he speaks Spanish because he can yell louder at someone when he goes to Marbella. Like that's. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's an, that's that's. I don't know if he does or does not speak Spanish, but that's certainly the type of thing that he yeah. seems like he would do based on this article. Airports are afraid about people with radical of. They're afraid of people with radical opinions about flight paths and landings, such as Al Qaeda. <laughs> Frankly, I have not passed through Heathrow for years for reasons familiar to complainants. Crowding, bottlenecks, too many shops, too few rest areas, miles of walking to get to planes, up and down stairs, circling back through tunnels, from gloom to glare and back again, breathing an atmosphere that is never fresh or cool, even in the middle of winter, with too few signs to gates that might change when you reach them. From gloom to glare and back again sounds like one of those awful self-published uh, memoirs of like a British army officer from the 50s. I love, I love the implication that this guy is being personally terrorized by the fact that there's more than one boots location in the largest airport <laughs> in Europe. <laughs> I have a rare condition where every time I see a Boots, I have to go in and buy something. <laughs> I, I, signed, I, I signed a deal with the devil about Boots. Mm. <laughs> That's incredible. It's like, it's, the complaint is like, ah, securities, everyone's demand. Airport, every, airports are demanding safe spaces. Anyway, there are too many shops, not enough places to sit down. This is a conservative opinion. This is pure, this is pure, um, conservative woman type of thing to publish though old man yells at airport this is old man yells at airport indeed that might actually be a contender for the episode title (laughs) (laughs) um but this time i was forced to fly through london heathrow by a government travel office after the familiar problems what surprised me was the security staff wait was he being like extradited to the uk (laughs) (laughs) the only one that they have handcuffs for (laughs) yeah now, they, they, it's a sort of kinky ally. <laughs> now, the staff at Heathrow are a familiar focus of complaints. And here comes... You thought he was complaining about the airport. Here comes something. Mm. Rude, unhurried, careless, often unable to speak English as a first language. Mm. And as a security expert, security staff are more noticeable to me. And I didn't like what I saw. Too busy looking at their phones or having conversations between themselves to pay attention to tasks. Attention was directed to new signs warning that abuse to staff won't be tolerated. The flow was light. Damn, but my sm- one hobby. <laughs> the flow was light, but stationary because the screen operator was too busy chatting on the other side and paid no attention to passengers blocking the other end of the belt. Incidentally, too much overt attention was paid by male staff to female customers stripped of their outer garments before passing through the metal detectors. Right. <laughs> he's just like, it's, it's just so bizarre. It's like he's never been to, like, first of all, how is this anything to do with Heathrow and not just like what airport security is like? Like, has he been to any other airport where like airport security is this like amazing, luxurious experience where like you don't have to do anything that inconveniences you in any way? Like, you don't have to take your jacket off, you don't have to take your shoes off, no, you don't have to do any of that. You just breeze through and someone shakes your hand, calls you so, and looks you in the eye and says, You don't look like a terrorist to me. On you go. Would you like a glass of champagne? Like, what the fuck does he imagine? If you go through one of those backscatter machines they can count your bloody pubes so i don't understand why this is all of a sudden the grating dignity because someone was asked to take their jumper off or whatever i mean like mm. i just like the bit where they're like they don't speak english and they're looking at their phones yeah. as, as, as someone who's very accustomed to Heathrow airport security and knows some of the guys <laughs> by their first name um i've got to say it's very fun just like listening to this guy experience it for the first time um, you know, it's, it's, it's cute. It's like a guy who's just like, you know, it's like when you're learning, watching a kid like ride a bike for the first time. Right? <laughs> they'll fall and it's kind of funny, but you know it will be okay. You know that they'll get used to it. But it's always funny remembering the first time where they have to deal with like 
these minor inconveniences. They confiscated my bottle of ether. This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, oh, man. During, and yet when they finally paid attention during a break in these distractions, they overcompensated my baggage, eventually confiscating a 200 milliliter bottle containing less than 50 milliliters of hand cream. Yet at Heathrow, I was treated like a foiled terrorist. And in the process, I got a closer look at how much attention was being paid to the other traffic. Another bag was being imaged on screen without the proper attention. Like I was, I was going to say, this is just reminding me about Richard Dawkins' tweet about when he got his pot of honey confiscated, and he said that like Western civilization had fallen. <laughs> yeah, you weren't you weren't treated like a fa- a foiled terrorist because you weren't arrested by the police right. and then like detained for three years without charge. Like, how the fuck does he think? Like, oh, like as though with terrorism, if you don't succeed, you get to just have another go, and they're just like, ah, oh, got you this time. Well, oh, well, I'm gonna try again. Okay, all right. Well, we'll see about next time. Like, that's not how terrorism works. And also, like the fucking the can cream thing is like. Yes, there's a rule about airport security, which everyone knows. You're allowed liquids of up to 100 milliliters in one container, and if they all fit in the bag. And if you don't know that, you just like haven't bothered to find out how a fucking airport works. Yeah. Like it's not like it's not like a thing about Heathrow. It's just like that's just a rule, and like no one is going to put their job on the line so that you can save like the dog end of your like fucking hand cream. Like yeah, they don't give a fuck about you, mate. Buy a new hand cream. Like yeah. what the fuck? They don't make violins that small. Yeah. Uh, so here's. That was the prelude, and here's where this gets interesting. Here's where this article gets tr- gets to the truly insane and petty. That and it just re- it it made my day when I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I lodged my observations with the airport. I did so privately as a professional courtesy, and as an expert in security, <laughs> I asked that my communication be forwarded to the terminal's security manager. Such an expert in security that he doesn't even know what the rules are about liquids for flying on any commercial flight in the Western world. Now he says that what you say. Now to be to be fair to him, he says that what you say is actually not true. It's actually about the contents, not the capacity. I don't really know. I can't comment on that. Well, um, the thing is, though, they can't measure the contents. They can only look at what the capacity of the container is because no one can like eyeball it and say oh well yes sir that looks like a hundred milliliters to me like that obviously doesn't work like that in practice anyway yeah. like yeah so he He's spoke as fuck. he spoke to the manager and he was expecting clearly gl- circling back to what he said at the beginning i think this uh, bruce newsom might have been expecting a sort of bowing and scraping apology mm. instead the spin doctors replied things got worse Damn, my least favorite kind of doctor. (laughs) The first one soothed me, but ignored the substance of my claim. The second one lied and said that bottles must be confiscated irrespective of contents, which is not true. She also inadvertently trapped the airport in an admission of security failure. One told me love, one told me patience, etc. The same bottle had not been confiscated during my connection two days prior. Either they didn't need to confiscate the bottle of mostly air, or it shouldn't have been, or it should have been confiscated the first time. So he's trapped them in logic. He spoke to the manager and trapped them in logic. He's the most powerful writer on the internet i spoke to the two managers one of whom always tells the truth and the one of whom always lies (laughs) and i told them the one thing that forced them to melt um as a woman who's often had things quote-unquote logically explained to me in very uh angered tones i'm sure that he really took his time to uh you know be be sweet to this woman and really try to try to get her on side i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. He seems like a persuasive dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And so, to add insult to lie, customer service claimed that there was video showing the opposite of what I had seen <laughs> as an exemplar. Sorry. <laughs> Your Honor, I would like to submit into evidence. I'd like to submit into evidence this video, this video. showing that I couldn't have been delayed, as you can see based on the time it took you to proceed through. But this was more spin. <laughs> Staff had delayed the line, despite the light traffic, but the spin doctor claimed that the light traffic was evidence of efficient processing. I can't even really picture what it is that he's talking about. It's like a very, it's a very like weird and abstruse situation where like he clearly hasn't in any case waited for very long at airport security, but he's like arguing that he could have waited less time. Yeah. And they're basically saying to him, well, like, you waited less than like we would expect, so who gives a fuck? If you hadn't slagged like, off yes, all the boots locations, maybe you could go to one and replace your bloody hand cream. That sounds like it's on its way out anyway. <laughs> yeah, this really. I am no longer welcome in boots after the incident. <laughs> what well, this is? This is why this is my favorite. It is so an art. It's an art. It's what I love about this article is that it's the perfect article that doesn't need to exist. Mm. It is the creation of a non-problem into about 1,800 words, which I've cut down considerably. Yeah. Um, Finally, um, as a professional matter, I wanted to know how many complaints had been filed by members of the public against Heathrow's employees, the number of claims made by Heathrow employees of abuse, and the number of confiscations of private property in the grounds of security. So I filed a Freedom of Information Act with Heathrow Airport, which responded... Yes, yes. <laughs> Getting so mad you file a Freedom of Information request with a private institution. Okay, res- I am firing a Freedom of Information request with my ex-wife to find out if she still loves me. Which responded that as a private business, it can actually just ignore the request so did bruce newsom stop there of course he fucking didn't you don't get the name bruce newsom by uh just stopping there <laughs> your first you don't stop at one vexatious freedom of information request not when you're bruce newsom so i filed a freedom of information request with the department for transport which said it did not collect that information Damn. Everyone's just trying to keep Bruce Newsom down, man. No one wants him to succeed. It's a conspiracy. Competition should promote excellence, but Heathrow is too consolidated. Its dominance could get worse. That's a very Pete Buttigieg sentence, actually. (laughs) So I'd recommend you all write Chris Grayling and tell him to improve Heathrow's security and efficiency before allowing the airport to expand any further. But don't stop there. Chris Grayling, Mr. Fucking Efficiency. Yeah, he'll get to the bottom of it. Don't stop there. Make an issue of the general decline of competence and accountability in Britain. This whole this whole uh, article just like screams like divorced dad energy. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I feel absolutely. like that's really what it is. It's kind of Chris Grayling is like the kind of manager for divorced dads, right? Chris Grayling takes over Heathrow and sells off all the planes for efficiency reasons. Look, we have to run Heathrow like a business, and that means selling off everything that could possibly keep us in business. Exactly. That's Immediately. How it works. At whatever price. Because then we'll have more money, which is the aim of business. <laughs> He's oh. selling off all the like bits of hand cream that they confiscate. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I can't and I can't like I can't even argue about you with that because you went to Cambridge Business School, which as we all know is England's version of Harvard Business School. Ah, what was your concentration? Oh, Oh, well, it was non-existent, actually. Uh, Look, I was going to say, look, if circling back back to Buttigieg, if anyone can point out how vacuous Oxford and Cambridge are, it's certainly us. Um, But also, the... um, 
the just turning your own bad customers or not even bad a customer service experience that you have remembered is bad into a metaphor for the decline of society in general is just it's it's we just love to see it i think i think that's really it we just we love to read it we love to hear it we want you to hear it we do we're just bringing great things to you know a broader audience yeah this is this needs to be unread by more people. More people need to understand that, you know, you can make multiple freedom of information requests that either that are just clearly based on nothing um, and are just based on your own fury. And yeah. you can still be a conservative blogger on the Internet. You can be a conservative woman. You can, man, I feel like a conservative woman. <laughs> da, 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 da. Anyway. Um, um, Oh man! This reminds Quick. me of one time on Twitter I made fun of somebody, uh, and I can't even remember what I said. It was the elected official in America, actually, and I made fun of them. And then somebody from Canada said that they were going to file a charter uh, complaint against me, and that because they were filing a charter complaint against me, it's the government's job to investigate and to lay charges against me for calling this guy basically a twat to his face. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. You know, I mean, it's. The, uh, calling the co- calling the cops in any way possible, <laughs> very good. Exactly. And in this case, you're calling the cops through blogging. Yeah. But there are many there are many the ways we've learned. The best part of this too is this whole thing about I, oh I expressed my concerns privately. Then I also followed the next eighteen steps, which involved several layers of government, and also wrote about it in a public forum, <laughs> and gave the public information of the MP for whom. Is it, you yeah. should direct your complaints. This guy's putting in a lot of man hours over his fifty mil of hand cream. Yeah. I have to say, I like clearly it was special to him. Maybe it was an heirloom it was, of some kind. It was a stay of the year to masturbate in an airplane bathroom, and he was robbed of that experience. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that it is time for us to wrap up. Uh, Karen, thank you very much for for coming thank on this you week for having me. It's been a pleasure, and uh, to. Are to every to everyone else. Um, there are now a few things that we have to let you know about. We are having a live show in London on May the thirtieth at Old Standby. Um, what the oh, old, standby? old standby? <laughs> I the I old forgo- standby. I forgot. I'm We're having our show at the at the Star, Star of Kings. Kings. At the Star 8 of Kings. Um, That's speaking cool of which, on the thirtieth of May, my book is is my official launch date for my book. So order it pre-orders are open i'm so glad that i get to actually have something to plug um amazing pre-order the book How does it feel i will sell some copies out of like the trunk of my car slash bike slash weird suitcase at the live show mm-hmm. um yeah. so if you're free children in a trench coat then buy a few copies so i think that that's about it well, you so guys, as, I, as always I'm sorry to interrupt but oh, you guys have forgotten oh, that if people join the patreon that they'll get the recipe for the soup that hussein has been making this entire uh, yes. recording. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I will, I, will, I, will send you, I will send you the soup recipe. It is so good. It smells really good. Um, DM me. I will give you a details for both the vegetarian and the meat option. Of course. Karen, you get the soup recipe just for just for coming well, on. So Just for playing. You know. just, just, Karen, don't worry. You won't walk away empty-handed. You get this fabulous soup recipe. <laughs> Karen, you may not have won this time, but we don't like people to leave with that with nothing. <laughs> Karen, do you have anything you want to plug before we hop off? Yeah, uh, so I have a podcast that's coming out very soon. Uh, It's called On Belief, and you can go to onbelief.com and read more about it and 
you will see some episodes coming up shortly and that it's a podcast about cults and harmful groups nice yeah. hell motherfucking yeah <laughs> so i guess in some ways trash future was research for you <laughs> <laughs> so i guess we could we could say uh enjoy your commute or your shit or your lunch or um your freedom of information yeah. request your ex-wife <laughs> yeah enjoy make filing the rest of your freedom of information request or whatever it is you do while listening to this mm. good night everybody good night good night